I'm Dr. Robin Roth, but my friends call me the Booby Docs. My popular social media account where I talk about breast cancer and breast health in an educational and fun way. I'm a board-certified radiologist who specializes in breast imaging and image-guided procedures. I'm also a 40-something Ashkenazi Jewish woman with a strong family history of breast cancer and BRCA, so I know a thing or two about breast cancer. And this is my podcast, The Girlfriend's Guide to Breast Cancer, Breast Health, and Beyond. If you or someone you love has been affected by breast cancer, this podcast is for you. Each episode, I sit down with top breast cancer experts, thrivers, providers, and those that love them to bring you the breast information. So get ready to learn, laugh, and let's be breasties. This podcast is not intended for medical advice. Please refer to your doctor with any symptoms or concerns you may be having. Thank you and enjoy the show. Guys. I don't even think you understand how excited I am to have the next guest on my podcast. For those who don't know, I am actually a huge Bachelor Nation fan. Not only do I watch every season, but I also follow them all on Instagram and keep up with their lives after the show. And my favorite contestant of all time is here today, Michael A. So for those who don't know Michael Alio, America fell in love with him when we saw him back a few years ago on Katie Thurston's season of The Bachelorette. So midway through the season, we learned that he's a single dad to a young son. And then we find out he lost his love of his life, his college sweetheart and wife, Laura, to breast cancer two years earlier. As if his Midwestern dad vibes weren't enough to fall in love with him, he was America's sweetheart. Much to Katie's dismay, he decided to leave The Bachelorette prematurely right before hometown dates for a number of reasons, which we're going to talk about. A few months later, he found love on Bachelor in Paradise with another of my fan favorites, Danielle Maltby, who goes all the way back to Nick Vial's season. She herself is a widow and an incredible nurse and figs ambassador. She also runs an incredible podcast called The WOMED, the Women in Medicine podcast, which I was a guest on. Last week, Michael and I talk about so many important breast cancer issues, including how Laura was diagnosed with breast cancer at the age of 31, only seven months after delivering their son, and what we can learn from her incredible story. He also spills some bachelor tea and opens up about finding love after loss. Michael offers his best advice to caretakers, and we also talk about why the new proposed breast cancer screening recommendations do not go far enough, but we have the power to change them until June 6th. I am so excited to share this conversation, and I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. We're talking boobs and bachelor, baby. All right. Well, Michael A., welcome to the Booby Docs podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been, uh, been a long time coming. Oh my God. I literally can't believe you're here. I feel like I've been, ever since you left Katie Thurston's season of The Bachelorette, I've been sliding into your DMs trying to get you on here. I know. And, you know, with contracts and everything, it gets so tricky. And, you know, all the work and all the good vibes that you're putting out into the world, um, you know, I've been a fan from afar. So Thank good you. work. Same. The feeling is so mutual. And, you know, actually, I, I kind of got the sense while well, during our, like, our Instagram conversations, at some point you went silent. And I was like, oh, I think he's on Bachelor in Paradise. And uh, actually, I heard that on Morgan P's podcast. So, you know, your friends. Friendly. Yeah, Morgan's amazing. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. And then when I found out Danielle was there and I was like, oh, this is the best thing that's ever happened to Bachelor Nation. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's been great for us, too. Oh my God. We'll get into all of it because I'm going to assume that most people listening to my podcast are not Bachelor Nation. I know a lot of them are. So tell us a little bit about yourself and like how you ended up where you are. Yeah. You know, I think probably a lot of people that listen to your podcast know that life is unpredictable and is very much so in our case. And I never was interested in getting on the show. It was not something I was really pursuing. And it wasn't until uh, a little twist of fate that led me to this. So I'll, I'll try to brush over it fairly quickly. Uh, you know, my uh, wife actually passed away from breast cancer in 2019. Um, she was diagnosed in 2017, uh, seven months after delivering our first child. So we were riding the wave of that high of having a new child and, you know, settling into that life. And like with all cancer diagnoses, uh, it hits you like a shockwave. And anybody that knows Laura just knows that she's just this vibrant ray of light, just an amazing advocate for so many things. And 
you know, when we lo- when I lost her in 2019, it was like living all over again. Uh, it's kind of the best way to describe it. Um, you know, we had everything planned out, the house, the job, the, the family, all of it. And then I just felt like desperate. It was, it was almost like I was raising a child by myself and it was really, really scary. And so went through 2019, started to get a little bit better towards the end of 2019, then COVID hit. And it was like the universe saying, if you thought you were doing better, we're here to tell you, you are alone, sir. And I was like, oh, man, like, you know, so 2020 was tough for me and tough for a lot of people. Yeah. And then it was in January 2021, I just opened up my Instagram. And I think at the time I had 300 followers and I just post pictures of me and James. And there was a casting director who reached out and it was like, do you want to be on a show? And I'm like, all right, yeah. What, what is it? And then they said The Bachelorette. And honestly, I was not planning on doing it. I actually said no to it a few times before they twisted my arm. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, you got to take risks in life. So uh, I'm glad I did. It was no easy road, but, you know, I'm happy I did it. That was totally the universe throwing you your shot, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think for anybody who is wondering, you know, or faced with, you know, a job change or maybe entering a relationship or, you know, moving to a new city and all of those fears and doubts come up because at the time when any major change enters your life, all you can see is the risk in the doubt. And that was the same thing for me as well. And it isn't until you start having confidence and betting on yourself that you can start to see that there is upside. And the last thing I ever want to do is have those what ifs in life. Yeah. How did the casting producer find you? Like you're not the typical contestant. No. And I take that as a compliment too. There's a lot of great people on the show, uh, but I definitely don't fit the mold. And I know that, um, it's kind of it's kind of crazy because the casting director, her husband actually makes apps for nonprofits. Uh-huh. And after Laura passed away in 2019, I created the L4 project, which was a way for me to keep her close and, you know, continue some of her advocacy work helping people in the cancer world. And the L4 project stands for, you know, L4 is live life like Laura. And essentially we sell merch online. Um, All the proceeds go towards um, a memorial fund that we have at the Akron Community uh, Foundation. And we distribute that money to other 501c3s and also, you know, people that are going through hardship. It, you know, paying for cancer uh, treatment, medical bills, you know, health products, all of those things, they get extremely expensive. And uh, I think we can all agree that when people get sick or face hardship, the last thing they should have to worry about is going broke. A hundred percent. And I love that organization. And what a beautiful tribute to your wife. Thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, you know, right now it's, it, it, things always look bigger online. Um, it's really just me running it. Uh, and one of my friends, uh, Jen, who does the social media. Um, but I'm glad it's, it's been, it's allowed me to stay very much connected to the cancer, uh, community, uh, a group of people that I absolutely adore. Their perspective on life is aligned with mine. And, um, you know, we just, we, we go through this, uh, very crazy thing together and I'm, I'm glad to be a part of it. You're very happy to have you on the breast cancer community side as an advocate because you really went when my, I saw you on national TV and we learned that you're a widow, a widower, and you have a son and it's the breast cancer. Like uh, my stomach dropped. I loved you before I knew that. And then hearing that, I was like, what? Well, you've been through so much. Wait, I, he- I had heard that Laura was actually a fan of The Bachelor. Is that right? Yeah, she loved the show. And I think like most husbands, they, you know, they walk past the kitchen and they see their wife or girlfriend watching it. 
they make some snarky comment and then slowly they get closer to the TV and it draws them in. My husband always comes around during fantasy suites. He's like, what's going on? Yeah, right. Give me the update. Right. And, you know, that's, that's really how it was for uh, Laura. And she used to tell me, like, it's so funny. She used to be like, you would do so well on this show. We should get, like, a fake divorce and go on and you do your thing. And I'm like, yeah, no, I, I don't want to do it. They don't, they don't want me. And it's just funny how the world works and the universe. And she would have absolutely loved the seasons I was on so that she could make fun of me. Is she behind this all is really the ultimate question. Like, You know what? You never know. I like to think so. I like to think so, too. I yeah. firmly believe in signs. And I know you've you've mentioned ways that you've connected with her and you know that she's like with you still. So. Yeah, it, this was actually a pretty crazy story. So two weeks ago, um, we were in St. Thomas and it was me, my parents, uh, sister, brother-in-law, nieces. James came along. And I actually got engaged to Laura in St. Thomas. And so we're taking this boat ride. And, you know, usually when you're going on these things with kids, they never turn out right. Like shit just falls apart. And it was like the perfect day. Kids were in a good mood. Everyone was having fun. And our last stop was this really remote beach that you can only get to by boat. There's no roads. And the kids were all picking up like seashells. And I just found it uh, ideal time to, you know, reflect on what's going on the past couple of years and talk to Laura. It's a special place we share. And so I go off to the side and I'm like, hey, hon, you know, how you doing? How's everything? You know, miss you. You know, give me a I'm going to ask for a sign like I always do. Like, give me a sign that you're OK. And then I start walking over to James, and right before I get to him, I look down, and in seashells, it's written, love, oh. in seashells. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, like, that is incredible. Like, I brought James over, you know, shared a good uh, man cry, and, uh, you know, I didn't have my phone with me. It was on the boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, you never, you never know. I think, um, I think she's definitely still with us. Yeah, I totally agree. And I I think the more you're open to it, the more you're like, see things. Yeah, absolutely. So Laura and you went to college together. You were college sweethearts, is that right? Yeah, yeah. We were together before she passed. We were together for 16 years. Wow. Tell me about her. I know she had a very positive attitude. And even when she was diagnosed with breast cancer, you know, became an advocate, used it to promote early detection before a lot of us were doing this. Yeah, I mean, incredibly smart, incredibly beautiful, funny. I mean, she could make, you know, a trucker blush if she really wanted to. Um, She was just somebody that, you know, never allowed anything to to get in her way. And I always admired her for it. Um, You know, she went through hardships like we all do. Um, She went through some early on in life that, really defined her. And I think anybody who's going through tests in life, it feels at the moment like it's the worst thing in the world. But then later on, when you've overcome it and you've learned from it and you're able to tap into it um, as you get older, you realize that sometimes these things are a gift. And she was somebody that never lost sight of that. And you know, when uh, when she was diagnosed with uh, breast cancer, she was like, I'm going to take this whole thing public. She's she's like, you know, social media is, is this thing that everybody is always trying to put their highlight reel, the best things, a version of themselves. And it really is an opportunity missed if we don't really show our true self and the vulnerability and what it feels like to be human on this planet together. Um, that's the most relatable thing. And I don't, you know, I know some people aren't as comfortable sharing that and it's cool, but when they are, beautiful things happen. I totally agree. And I applaud her. Like, I feel like she had so much foresight and like she left such an impact, especially because she was so open about it. And then you became so open about it and such an advocate that her, her memory lives on, right? Yeah. And she taught me how to be, you know, more open about this. I remember when she was first diagnosed, she's like, I'm going to do, you know, a Facebook Live. And I was like, geez, you know, this feels like a private moment. But then I saw the community that she was able to curate. I was like, wow, 
Uh-huh. Like people feel heard. They've, and she was a resource because she just would dive into all of these things, you know, not push her own thoughts on other people, but just help answer questions. Um, and you don't realize how many people don't have the resources that they need in order to build the right team around them to get through their own cancer diagnosis. Um, I mean, we were always lucky because we had a lot of friends and family, a lot of, you know, we've self educated and all of that, but you know, it's not the same for everybody. And that's, and that's sad. And it should be. Totally. I mean, when used correctly, social media has the power to really help people, especially when you're talking about health information, you know, people need the information and like, this is just a way to get it out to a wider audience that may not get this another way so kudos to her if you went on to uh facebook and just typed in laura ritter alio Mm -hmm. you'll see a lot of her um videos and they are open they're raw they're honest they're not no filters and they're they're really powerful have you ever thought about like moving them over to instagram so she can maybe get more of a following because it's like so incredible to have that still yeah, I mean, I've never really thought about that. I mean, honestly, it's it's so still difficult for me to watch some of these things. Um, I know one day I'll be able to do that. I think it's great to have a lot of these videos for for James to see the you know his mom's personality and where he gets all of his mannerisms, which he has so many of. Um, but you know, I think I think that day will come one of these days, and it'll be a good day when it does. Love that. Um, so she was 33 when she was diagnosed. Yeah. Uh, did she uh, find a lump? How was she diagnosed? It was, again, we're going to go back to signs. Um, James was very much a kid that wasn't a picky eater. And when he was breastfeeding, he stopped taking milk from one side of Laura's breast. And so that we were like, why is that going on? And so we went to an OBGYN and she dismissed it as a plugged milk duct, which is common. But again, for all listeners, be your own advocate because that wasn't sufficient enough for us. And about four days later, we, you know, got into a hospital and got an ultrasound, you know, mammogram biopsy and cancer diagnosis, you know, three days later when the results came back. Oh my God. And, and he was seven months, your son was seven months old. Yeah. Seven months old. Yeah. You're, you're like, this can't be real. I think, I think that element of shock comes in. Like, this is something that happens to other people. It happens to older people. You know, it happens to people with a deep family history of cancer and, so I don't know what you find in, in your journey, but sometimes it feels like there's no rhyme or reason to it. A hundred percent. I want to talk about so many of the things that you brought up, which is you have to be your own breast advocate. I, yes. I always that. And she, I mean, we talk about medical gaslighting a lot and not to say that it's medical gaslighting that you're like, oh, it's nothing. It's a clogged duct because mostly likely that's what it is, but mm-hmm. it's also very easy to evaluate it with appropriate imaging. So I always encourage people that if, you know, something feels off, like, you know, your body breasts, I always, whenever I can, um, yeah. if something feels off. You've got to bring it to the attention of your doctor and always ask the question, how do you know this isn't something more serious? Is there any imaging we can do that might help us decide if this is anything to worry, be worried about? Because, you know, breast cancer in a 33-year-old woman, it's not common, but it happens. Um, breast cancer is the most common cancer um, during pregnancy and breastfeeding. Um, so around that year, you know, the year or two after, and your body's going through so many changes. So it's hard to like kind of recognize when something's concerning. Yeah. I mean, have have you, I mean, I listened to your, your yeah. awesome podcast on the WOMED, which you're just a wealth of information. Yeah. Um, I mean, have you been able to see any sort of correlation? Because with my, just being involved in the cancer world, I'm, I'm noticing younger and younger yeah. women getting this. And, you know, I know cancer is, is very much complex and people very much want to assign cause and effects very easily and it's deeper than that um but what i mean what are your thoughts on just modern day and how it's being diagnosed i mean there is a young breast cancer epidemic going on right now it's increasing at about two percent a year since like 2015 so that 
And that is important to know. And most people who are diagnosed, unfortunately, have no family history of breast cancer and no known genetic mutation. So a lot of times I think people are falsely reassured by like, I have no family history and I'm only 33. And we, we see it, unfortunately, so many, so often in the community and, you know, under, you know, talk about 40, 40 all the time, 30 often and 20 even. I'm seeing a sizable amount of, you know, late 20s, 27. Enough. Horrible. And it's like so shocking. And it's just not what you're expecting. But it's just, you know, we just have to be vigilant. And that's why I know you do too. But I really encourage people to do a monthly self breast exam because otherwise, you're never going to find it in a woman who's below the screening age. And even the self breast exam is controversial. The American Cancer Society technically doesn't support it, but they support breast self-awareness. To me, it's like the same thing. Right. You have to be teaching people how to do a good self-breast exam because, as you know, about 80% of young women who are diagnosed with breast cancer find it themselves. And often their partners find it, you know. So it's just something that we have to be aware of. We have to get comfortable having that conversation with our doctors saying, how do you know it's just a clogged duct? You know, I think it's really hard, but my platform has always been to like empower and educate people. It probably is a clogged duct. I don't want anyone to like listening to be scared to get it evaluated, but the reality is like breast cancer is out there and we just have to be vigilant. Yeah. And you know, you bring up a good point of, you know, people who you probably get these messages all the time. Because I on social media I will post you know every eighteenth yeah yep one and eight and to get your you know uh, mammogram and and all of that you know there's there is that fear of you know in that I don't I don't know that comfort of being naive is bliss I don't want to know you know but it it either is or it isn't and if you find out early you will be so thankful that you do. It changes everything. Early detection changes so much. A hundred percent. Early detection is the breast protection. Um, I want to just use this as a moment to talk about this. I'm hoping I can get this out as soon as possible. But like right now, I don't know if you've seen like the latest breast cancer screening recommendations. No, I haven't. So recently, a lot of medical societies say mammograms for average risk women at 40 every year. But even like that's not enough because your wife was was normal risk and she developed breast cancer at 31. Yeah, so not enough. The new recommendations from the U.S. Preventive Task Force actually say 40 every two years and stopping at age 74. And as a breast cancer expert, every two years is way too long, especially yeah. in young women who are more likely to have dense breast tissue, more likely to develop interval cancers and aggressive subtypes of cancers that just grow fast. And really, we know that 40 every year in average with women saves the most lives. Anything else is really taking into account, you know, anxiety or like the false positives. And that's why... I really have a big concern with these new breast cancer recommendations. And I'm actually just going to plug this right here because they're actually draft recommendations. And the public has until June 6th to comment of why they fall short. Um, and one of them is annual, you know, we need annual mammography. Yeah. Women can choose to come every year, every two years, and choose to be what they're anxious about. But ultimately, like, give us the most life-saving information and let us decide. Yeah, exactly. Let, allow it to be covered by insurance. Yeah. You choose if you want to do it or not. My name is Michael Alio, and I don't think these recommendations go far enough. Yes. Yes. <laughs> just plug. Mic drop. I'm just going to, you know. Just plug. Do you think they'd ever drop it from 40 to 35? So, the, yeah, I mean. And, and I, if they did, what are the implications? I would be pro 35, but I, I think we'd have a hard time getting that because we barely get 40. I think ultimately we're going to get to a more like risk-based approach. Actually, there's another important recommendation I want to just highlight. Recently, the Society of Breast Imaging said that all women, especially Ashkenazi, Jewish, and Black women, should have a breast cancer risk assessment before age 30. Mm -hmm. So that we can identify women that are high risk and would benefit from earlier um, and supplemental screening, meaning we might start MRI as early as age 25 and uh, mammography as early as age 30. Like a good rule of thumb is 10 years before a first degree relative also. And I heard you speak about just that risk assessment calculator on the WOMED. 
Um, you know, some of those kind of tools for people to really understand, you know, if they're being honest with themselves, what, what is their risk? Where do I stand on here? So Michael is actually referring to the Tyrer Kuzik online calculator. You're going to want to Google this T-Y-R-E-R-C-U-Z-I-C-K calculator. It's a really easy tool that you could basically, you'll, you'll fill in information regarding your breast cancer risk factors, and it will give you your lifetime risk of breast cancer. Anything over 20% is considered high risk. And these are really the people that we are trying to identify because knowledge is power. There are things that we can do to help you lower your risk of developing breast cancer or finding it early, like genetic counseling, early interventions, and earlier screening. This is a great online tool to understand your risk factors, but this is always best done with a healthcare professional whenever possible. Being proactive and educating yourself is one of the best forms of treatment and defense. Yes, totally. I mean, we know that early detection leads to better outcomes, less aggressive treatment. You might be able to avoid chemotherapy or lymph node dissection. So all these things are, you know, besides life loss, we have to look at morbidity and quality of life. Yes. After a breast cancer diagnosis and all that stuff. So so I, I want to talk about so many things. I feel like I only have so much of your time. No, no, no. Go, go for it. Um, so James is now six years old. Yep. How do you talk about Laura? What does he know about his mother? Yeah. I mean, first, I got to give a shout out to all the caregivers out there, all the widows that are out there. Um, it is one. I mean, raising a child is incredibly difficult. Raising a child widowed is incredibly even more difficult. Um, you know, when when Laura passed, it's like, what tools do I have to raise this beautiful child and you feel the weight of the world on you? Yeah. And my, you know, my story is unique in the fact that it doesn't happen to everybody, but it sure does happen to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's exhausting. Um, you know, it's, I mean, I work full time. I've got two businesses. I you know, in, involved in, in with him at school as I should be. And it is exhausting. But I will say, for all the work that I put into it, I get way more in return. And he is just the most amazing kid. Because we speak about Laura, because we're open and honest, because he's experienced death, he has this amazing perspective on the world and insight that I don't think most kids his age would have otherwise. And it goes back to what we were saying before, you know, the, the struggles that you go through in life, you can either choose to let them scar you forever, or you can find a way to change them and and reprogram them and accept them and learn from them so that, your life can be better. And and when you are challenged with stuff, you're more equipped to be able to overcome it. And I think that is something that James and I work on on a regular basis is I don't want cancer to take more than it already has from us. It can't be an excuse for being less than who we are meant to be. And yeah, and it's, it's really that empowerment and embodiment uh, that Laura always had that I'm trying to instill, you know, into him. I love that. I love that for you. I love that for James. It's so clear. You're such an amazing father. And thank you. (laughs) I, um, my, one of my best friends from med school got married this weekend and she married a widower with two children. She didn't lose her to cancer, but they, I mean, she also struggled for like a long time. And I think they passed, she passed away when they were two and four and yeah. now they're seven to nine, and my best friend is coming in and taking that new role, uh, which is, you know, it's a it's tough hard. Still, yeah, it's really hard. It, I think, um, and this is this was one thing that, you know, I just noticed from being on the show was, I think there is there is this thing that I have experienced personally. I'm not speaking broadly. This is my own experience. But there are tons of people when they hear my story, they want to fix you. Mm-hmm. They want to be that person that comes in and saves, you know, the widowed dad. And, you know, 
the help the child and all of that. And it's very romantic that way, but it's not that clean. It's messy. It's difficult. And, you know, I noticed, I noticed that even from watching, you know, the audience respond to things, it was don't, you know, talk about grief, but don't talk about it too much. Mm -hmm. You know, like we don't want to hear about, grief we don't want to hear about real things we want to hear about love talk yeah. about love and that's it and i know that that's a major mark of of the show but i don't think that is how life works i think you can find love in the pain and in, in our flaws and where we're at that's like the highest form of intimacy that can exist is that kind of connection and so it was just amazing to me to you know, see how people's interpretation of love and, and growth and connection is vastly different. No, I mean, like you said, the both, the two of you experienced so much and like, I could tell that you talk through it and you work through the grief and it's a constant yeah. thing. But it's also interesting too, because Danielle's grief isn't even close to mine. Yeah. They I like, yeah. On the, on the surface, people are like, Oh, you're a widow. You're a widow. You have a lot in common. When Danielle and I talk about our grief, they couldn't be more different. Yes. And so, you know, just completely different experiences. Totally. And I will get into Danielle because I know that she lost her fiance to an, was it an overdose? Yeah. So, yeah, totally different stories, experiences. I mean, and that was, how, how long ago was her, did her fiance pass? Um, Nick passed, I believe it was around 11 or 12 years ago. Wow. Yeah. And still to this day, I mean, she still feels, you know, the, uh, aftershock. Was that something that you two instantly connected on? Yeah. I mean, we, we connected on a lot of things, obviously being in the bachelor nation world, it's a, it's its own oddity. Um, but also being at the age we're at. Yeah. Um, having gone through grief as we have an experience loss, but also, you know, music and fun things and, you know, yeah. uh, right. pop culture and, and right. you know, traveling and all the things that make us human. So America initially fell in love with you in Katie Thurston season and you left um, right before hometowns, right? Yeah. Why? did you leave? Was it James? Was it Katie? Was it everything? I mean, I think, I think there's a bit of everything mixed in, mm -hmm. um, you know, on night one, I actually told Katie, and this was never filmed, but I did tell Katie, I said, there's no way I'm going to get engaged. Uh-huh on night one good for you right yeah I was like there's no possible way on night one so I was like you know if there's a connection here the last thing I want to do is you know lead you on to believe that I'm falling you know I could be in love with you but I just it's not for me yeah it's yeah I can't believe as many people get engaged as they do because like yeah yeah it's um I mean to each the, to each their own right. um but it just, just doesn't work for me and so I quickly got yelled at by producers and they're like, you know, this is a show about getting engaged. I'm like, yeah, I know that. I was like, you don't have to air it, but at least right. she knows. And if, you know, she wants to eliminate me, like, I get it. You're um, like, I'm here for the right reasons, right? Yeah, well, it's like, <laughs> I just, I just didn't want to lead somebody on, you know? Yeah. Totally. And, you know, I, it was between being away for a long time. It was a quarantine season. Um, yeah. So even before filming started, I was gone for 12 days before yeah. the first day filmed. And that was about um, James, right? Like, yeah. And it's like, you know, James, James was two years younger. So he was four at the time. And, um, you know, I didn't get to talk to him as much as I wanted to. And I was missing him and he was wanting me. And every time I spoke with him, it's just pulling at my heart. Like, why am I here? That would have been why, like, what, what am I doing? And like all my responsibilities are back at home. Uh -huh. And here I am in Albuquerque and I would leave these very heavy conversations with my son, join the room with everybody else. Mm -hmm. And they'd be like, 
you're not here for the right reasons, bro. And I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? I'm dying inside. Like, I can't do this right now, guys. I can't do this. Um, Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think if, um, you know, Katie and I are still really good friends. I talk to her as much as possible. Um, I think she's outstanding. I mean, I think we, her and, well, her and I would definitely both agree our lives do not align. Yeah. And I think we both understood that in Albuquerque as well. And so instead of taking that next step in maybe making great TV, but not real TV, um, you know, I decided to peace out and uh, she took it hard um, because we we care about each other. Um, But it was the right decision at the end. And I would it was the responsible one, too. I think you were like song number two in the 11 days of message. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You really follow us. I really so. follow. Like, I'm like, yeah. yeah <laughs> I know. All right. So you leave The Bachelor at, sorry, The Bachelorette. And then why did you decide to come back a few months later for Bachelor in Paradise? Um, I mean, after, after I left, uh, you know, it's it's a lot for all the cast to all of a sudden be thrown into a spotlight. I don't. Yeah. It's a really odd thing. Yeah. Uh, unless you've gone through it, it, you really don't know. And I do think that's a reason why a lot of social groups kind of form within Bachelor Nation is because everybody understands this weird world that you're in. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to take a break from it. You know, I went back to work, guess, still working, still doing all that. And then there was, you know, the interest of being a part of it again. As much as it is stressful and exhausting, there is an awesome thrill yeah. from getting mic'd up and being thrown into the Truman Show and you are <laughs> being filmed for however long you're there. It's, it's really cool. And you also, I mean, if you if you look at it from this perspective, it's really healthy too. Like we actually spend so much time doing interviews and introspection and thinking. And if you use that time correctly, it can be therapeutic to some extent. And so I also jumped onto paradise too, because there isn't that pressure to get engaged um, because I'm just not going to do it. Danielle knew we weren't going to do it. It was never on the table ever. That's good that you were upfront about that and that like you realize that because I always think that's kind of an unrealistic expectation, especially for somebody like you who has a son. Like, how could you get engaged without her meeting your son? It, it, it just wouldn't work. It just wouldn't work. It's not. It's not how I how I want that to happen. And there was also a part of me that you know felt like it would have been a disservice to Laura and also us all the work that we did putting into our relationship leading up to that moment where you do get engaged. I mean, an engagement in my book is marriage and forever. Yeah. And mm-hmm. in bachelor terms, it has a tendency to be more of a promise to stay together post-show yeah. for a defined amount of time. <laughs> yeah. Is yeah, that a factual thing? Like you have to stay together for X amount? No, not not contractually. Um, but I mean, people do feel pressures of being in a public relationship. Oh, I would imagine so. Yeah. Um, between then, did you and Danielle ever connect in DMs? And like, did you kind of know she was going to be there? Yeah. Here's this is this is the odd thing because um, I received a little backlash from this. Um, there is nobody on the show that knows who's coming down. Huh. Like they have no idea. They're not producers. This is a reality show. The whole point of a reality show is for producers to be able to capture reaction. Okay. And none of us are actors. Uh-huh. So, so it's, it's like having any insight as to who's coming down, where, when, how, like nobody knows that. Right. And so Danielle and I, just like everybody on that beach, mm-hmm. DMs each other. Uh-huh, right. Like, again, of course that happens. when people get off the season, uh-huh. 
You're like an open catch, right? Like yeah. Like, when people get off the season, everybody from other seasons start DMing each other, like, hey, big fan of you. Like, yeah. if you're ever in my city, like, let's grab coffee. And it's not always romantic. It's just connection. Right. And so Danielle and I uh, connected because she was actually uh, had a friend that was uh, recently going through cancer. And um, I'm working on a therapeutic that offsets the side effect of chemotherapy called hand and foot syndrome. Uh-huh. And I was able to send her some samples and it worked uh, fairly well for, for her. So that was really what we were connecting about. Uh-huh. And so the fact, again, that I didn't yeah. fake that I knew her when she came down, which is what everyone's doing. Right. Right. I just, I'm not going to fake it. Like, I was like, yeah, I know you. I wasn't going to be like, what's your name again? Of course, what? it would make sense that you guys connected over DM. Like, I mean, Yeah, but that was, when she came down in paradise, that was the first time I ever met her in person. Um, I, I love that. I remember her walking down the stairs, and I was, like, literally gasping. I was like, oh, my God, it's happening. Like, mm-hmm. I had rumors, and I was like, this is so good. Like, yeah, it was the first time we ever we ever spoke person to person. Um, but I had like heard that you kind of tell producers who you're kind of interested in meeting, but you don't know who's going to actually be there. Is that right? Yeah, correct. Everybody has uh, a list. Right. Producers never tell you, you know, for certain who's going to come. Right. Um, but Danielle was on my list. Uh-huh. But they totally did throw you a little bit of a softball when they let you stay on. Right. So yeah, Here, here's here's an interesting part of that. Yeah. Right. And I've actually never talked about this, so you'll get some hot takes here. Um, I got a lot of backlash when, you know, I broke up with Sierra, you know, after she gave me stars and stuff like that. At the moment, we had only been together for three days. Right. And this is no fault of hers whatsoever, her meaning Sierra. But that gift of the stars was in going around talking about being James's stepmom mm-hmm. after three or so days of being together. Um, that was a major turnoff for me. And instead of me telling her and teaching her why that was so off-putting, I didn't want to make her feel bad for something that there's no possible way she could understand why. Right. And so when I broke up with Sierra after the star exchange, you know, everybody was like, Oh, she gave you the stars. Like amazing. Um, you know, she had the rose that. Right. I, I, again, it goes back to, I didn't want to lead her on. I knew for certain that there wasn't end game with her. So why am I going to take up her time? I asked her to stay, like, because you don't know what's going to happen on the beach. They always will send people down. Like, there are not these predefined rules uh, that happen. And I know producers wanted her to stay as well. Um, And so when she left, I was getting ready to leave as well. And then I, you know, spoke with Wells, and he's like, he's like, dude, just just stick around. You never know what's going to happen. Right. And so I did. Danielle came down and uh, yeah, a lot of people were like, he's a protected player. You know, he's not going through the same thing. It's like, look, guys, look, I have a very chaotic life at home. Not to give myself excuses here, but like, uh, what are you talking about? You're on one side of the island and Danielle's on the other side and like, you're going to leave. They got to bring her down. Yeah, yeah, like they didn't they didn't expect me to break up with Sierra at that time. Yeah. What likely was going to happen is they did that Casa Amor split. Yeah. What was gonna happen was Sierra was gonna go to the other house. I was going Need to die. Right. And then Danielle was gonna come down with that batch of girls. Right. So they kind of sent her prematurely because you were gonna leave. Because Sierra chose to leave. Right. Yeah. yeah because she chose to leave. Right. Yeah, I mean, right. So she's a lot younger than you. She hasn't been through nearly the amount of life experiences you've been. I think she was doing like what she thought was the right thing, saying, I would love to be his stepmom. But like, you're like, oh, whoa, I'm not ready for this. Yeah. I'm like, there's, and, and also going around telling people about that. And it's like, from a widow's perspective, hearing that, 
it's 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 just glaring that you really don't understand the complexities of what our life and our situation is it's really nice that you're willing to do that yeah but you know i it was my decision my instinct that was like you're not prepared for this and so and it's not not her fault either yeah, and I think you did the right thing. Like ultimately, I think one day, whether it's now or you know a few years from now, I think she'll appreciate that too. As you know, yeah. To- I mean, I I did what was right, you know, for me. Yeah, and your family, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's always uh, you know top of mind. Um. So speaking of Danielle, you guys fell in love on Bachelor in Paradise. Um. How has life been together now that she's moved to Cleveland? It's been great. She uh, she moved up here in February, and so she started her job. She absolutely loves the area, um, which, you know, you're never fully sure that it's going to happen. And we're living in two separate places. So she lives in downtown Cleveland area, and I'm in Akron. And so I got a suburb life thing going on over here. And, you know, it's it's really nice to have that separation. And personally, again, other people would look at that and be like, wow, this guy just can't commit, can he? But it's to me, that's healthy. Like, you have to have your own identities. If she moved in here and I didn't, and she didn't have that space to be able to grow and nurture her own relationships and her own life, then she's relying on the life that I've built, which may not be the one that she wants. And Danielle completely agrees with that. This was not like, she didn't even want to move it. Like right. she's, this was a no brainer for us. No, I think that makes sense to let her establish her, you know, get some friends. Otherwise she's like your side piece, right? Like right. You're, 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 you know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm her side piece. <laughs> Good for yeah. her. No, but like, yeah. it, I, it just makes, it makes a lot of sense to me. And I think that that's a healthy, healthy approach to relationships. You got to ease her into that suburb, you know, life, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, what's her relationship like with James? It's 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 good. Um, I mean, there's always, you know, everyone seems to be fighting for my time and attention yeah. <laughs> all the time. Um, you know, which is which is great. It feels good. Um, but you know, it's it's they you know, do crafts together. They have fun together. She's extremely warm and welcoming to him and and patient with, you know, my schedule and, and all of that. I mean, it's not, it's not easy to be, you know, in a relationship with a single widow dad, I'm not going to make it easy. Uh, I'm not going to like sugarcoat it. Um, but you know, she thinks it's worth it, and so do I. And so we keep pushing on. That's great. What is next for the three of you, or the two of you? Just life at our own pace. No, no timelines. Um, you know, there's there's always, uh, you know, when you get off the show, you feel like, you know, when are you getting engaged? When are you doing this? Feed us more. <laughs> and it's like, you know. If we're going to make this work, it can only be one way and it's authentic and our way. And so we try to ignore the noise as much as possible and also, you know, not make our relationship a product that we peddle online either. That's so good. That's so mature. Yeah. You guys. I mean, it happens sometimes where people get in this relationship and you know, there's the social media image side, again, going back to how we can use social media. Um, this, If you use your relationship like a product to get more followers or engagement or, you know, more brand deals or whatever, um, then your business and pleasure is dangerously intertwined. Totally. And, you know, you don't want to, that's, 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 that's a recipe for disaster. Well, it's so easy to fall into that trap of like, the more you put out, like the more you get. Yeah. But then it's like, you know, then you're always producing, you know, uh, products or image. You're never in the moment. I mean, my, you know, my posting is I'm trying to always share what's going on in my life. And what's difficult now is before Danielle, you know, I used to talk about grief a lot. 
Yeah. I have since felt pressure to pull back because anytime I do talk about grief, people are like, you're going to chase Danielle away. Uh-huh. Like, you know, you, you've, you've moved, like, move on, you know, get therapy, quit talking about it. And it's like, you, you don't recognize people that this is something that you walk with. It's, it's, it's a part of you. And it's like, I, I wish I never had to talk about it, but if I'm being honest, it's, it's very much a part of my life and my family's life. You never lose grief. Like you never, never lose away. It's a different stage, but it's never, you never get out of that. Really. Yeah. It's, it's like, um, it's like you, you learn how to dance with the limb, you know, and you, you make, you make the best out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally. What ha- for you has been the hardest part about falling in love again? Yeah, that's a. I feel like like falling in love, just like a lot of things in life, there is um, it's a mix between faith and doubt. You know, most things are faith and doubt. It's you know betting on yourself and then doubting your decision or fearing the result, and it's. I'm not a, I never really felt like, like I'm comparing, Mm -hmm. but possibly subconsciously I am. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I try to make Danielle feel, you know, as loved and as beautiful as she is, as much as, you know, I, I can. And it's, it's always difficult to take steps forward um because things start feeling a lot more real and that fear of losing somebody again comes back into your periphery and you know there's there's moments where you know Danielle and James could be having a beautiful moment mm-hmm. and especially as James is growing up and i'm like wow that is a beautiful thing and then it's sadness that Laura's not here to experience that cuz she would have loved that moment and I think for I think we live a little bit in this world where things people want to be like it's either this or this, mm-hmm. and it's nearly always the fact that two things exist at the same time, and I've gotten very comfortable with that feeling of you know being happy and being sad mm-hmm. you know all the like simultaneously like those things can oh. so exist together. Totally. I mean, I mean, that's life, right? We all have that's different life. and what, you know, some days you might lead with, you know, I've got this and some days you just don't feel it. And I think. Right. Right. And it could be, you know, we could be sharing a laugh right now and then you bring up something else and I'm sad all of a sudden. Right, like this right. is, this is how, this is how it works. Folks. I try not to do that too much. I'm like, no, it's all right. It's all right. Yeah. Um, well, I wanted to ask, what is your best advice to anyone who's been a caregiver? Oh, yikes. Um, I mean, it's 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 so, uh, like, my situation, just like everybody's cancer journey, no two are the same. Um, it's difficult because any advice that I give is advice I never took, mm-hmm. which is, you know, invest in self-care. Yeah. And it's like, when the when the roof is on fire... And you've got a kid and you've got a family and you've got a job and you've got a meeting or appointments and scans and, you know, all of these things. I never was able to to balance that. And I I was working at a a pace that I mean, honestly, for about about two and a half years, it's probably three hours of sleep a night, um, you know, just with you know, feeding the baby when he's crying and, and everything like that. Um, but I would just, the best thing I learned was mindfulness, mm-hmm. really, because anybody who's going through cancer, they're, they try to be present, but their next thought is their next appointment. It's their next scan. It's their next chemo or consultation what am I going to discover because you have this thing that's constantly around and chasing you that you could be in the safety of your home but you don't feel safe anxiety is real right like yeah and so what's happening is you're never anywhere you're floating around and mindfulness allows you to try to silence all of those things deal with what you can control today and try to recognize the beauty and the gifts that are around you. Those are the things that 
we take for granted when our mind's elsewhere. And those are the same things that will fuel you and allow you to continue to find that strength to hit these benchmarks and accomplish what you're looking for. I love that. I mean, yeah, you're just moving from appointment to appointment and, you know, but like you have to enjoy, cherish each moment because you don't know how much time you have left. Yeah. You're not present in any conversation. You know, it's difficult to check up with your friends. You're sending so many text messages. You know, one thing I noticed too is, you know, caregivers after they, well, widowers, when when somebody passes away, the the caregiver or the widower at this point, they're always in this position where they have to help other people grieve. Mm-hmm. You enter a room and everyone's sad, and they're sadder than you are when you're walking in. Right. And you're like, I don't have the energy as a widower right now right. to make you feel better. Right. Like I understand that you're extremely sad, but yeah. I cannot take away from this limited amount of energy that I have and give that to you. So my other advice is protect your energy. I was just going to say like self-preservation is key. I yeah. Think. You, you can't, yeah. you know, don't try to make everybody feel great because deep down, you know, that you're not either. It's like, I feel like when people are probably sending you texts, like, how are you? How is she? Like, and if you don't get back, it's like, yeah, you, it, it becomes a massive assignment and a massive task, and it feels like a stressor. It's nice that people are thinking of you, but simultaneously, you're like, oh, now it's going to be like a 10-minute text conversation. And it's like, that, that's why things like Caring Bridge and social media were really helpful for us, because we kind of used that as a place where everybody can get the updates. Yeah. Right. And not have to send all these individual texts over and over. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, Do you think that Laura approves of Danielle? Oh, geez. (laughs) Um, You know what? I think think they would have been really good friends. I could see that. Yeah. 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 I try not to uh, ever, just like when she was on Earth, I never speak with her in the afterlife. Um, she would strike me down for putting words into her mouth. Um, but I do think that they would be, they, they, they do have a very similar core value system and, and kind of zest for life. Strong female, you know, I love love that. Love that for them. We love that. (laughs) All right. I'm going to let you go because I know you probably got a million things to do. Can I ask you three lightning round questions, which are really fun and short? Yeah. Okay. What's your drink of choice in the morning? Um, actually, I love this mud water. Do you oh, drink mud water? No, what is that? It's fantastic. So I used to drink tons of coffee and stuff, and it's it's mushroom-based. Oh, I've heard of that, yeah. Yeah, so it's like cordyceps and everything. It, it gives you energy without the crash mm-hmm. and actually some really good mental clarity. I love it. Yeah, I'll have to try that. Mm-hmm. Team Ariana or Team Ariana? Uh, oh, is this Vanderpump? Yeah, are you? I, I've never seen one episode, and oh. yet because of my affiliation with pop culture now, my whole feed is Wait, about Scandaval and everything else. Like, like I, I, I guess it's Team Ariana. Yeah, totally. That's that's yeah. right. I actually never watched, but I started watching this season as it all unfolded, and I'm, like, so deep in it. Like, I'm now going back to, the, like, I'm, like, going back to earlier seasons and getting all the, um, I'm invested. Yeah, oh, good. Um, do you watch any reality TV? No. Oh, love that for you. <laughs> I, am, uh, I am completely removed. I am finishing up uh, Succession, uh-huh. um, which is fantastic. Uh what else did I finish? I don't know. I'm a big movie buff. I actually love horror movies too. Oh, yeah, I know. My mom got me into them when I was way too young, and now that's kind of a thing we we do together is the scary movies. Are you and Danielle gonna watch Bachelor or Bachelor in Paradise together? You um, you know, I I, I actually uh, I met Charity, and she is. Oh, I love her. Yeah, she is lovely. Uh-huh. Um, she's a wonderful person. So I'm wishing her the best season. It is not easy nowadays to be able to go through that filming is exhausting but it's really having to deal with everyone's opinion about you 
Yeah. And I and I think if I, I saw this meme, it was really funny because the, the the real question was, you know, I mean, for example, name a bachelor that by the end of the season was like well loved. Yeah. I mean, you have to go back maybe ten seasons. There's none. There's none. And for you know why? Why? Because this guy is asked to date 30 women at the same time. And every woman who's watching this hate guys right. that date multiple right. people at the same time. They're set up for failure, right? Yeah, you, can, you cannot win. Yeah, they better marry that person. Otherwise, they're kind of screwed, right? Right. Yes. <laughs> they, better, baby, they demand babies. They're firstborn. You know, there's there's a lot of sacrifice. We want TV weddings. We want it all, right? Yeah, I know. It's well, well, this has been a dream come true. Like, oh, I love you. <laughs> I love you. Um, thank you for everything. Um, I wish you the best. I'm going to keep cheering you guys on from the sidelines. And one day we'll have to have you both, both back on. I uh, would love that. Thank you so much. Thank you and, so uh, much. This is such a good episode. Oh, my oh God. good, good. We got a lot in there. <laughs> you covered a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have the best weekend ever. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye. Guys, I am unwell after that episode. How amazing is he and her story? I am officially president of the Michael A. Fan Club. You can learn more about Laura's legacy at the L4 Project on Instagram. And please, 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 if you have breasts or love someone who does, then you must let the USPTF know why their proposed breast cancer screening re recommendations suck before June 6th. Everything is linked at the Booby Docs across all social media platforms. We have the power to make a change. Our boobs, our choice. Do it for Laura. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed this conversation or learned something new, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave me a five-star review and help spread the word. If you tell me you did, I'll give you a big virtual smoocheroo. And of course, make sure you follow me across all social media platforms at The Booby Docs for more of the breast information. And a huge thank you to my podcast producer, Christian Cuveta, an amazing medical student who also wrote and produced the music for the show. Take it away, Christian. Christian.